Amen. You may be seated, church. Good morning. My name is Jason. Would you please open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 4? Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 will be our primary text today. I'd love to read that passage and then pray, ask for the Lord's help, and then get to work. Sound good? Romans chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. Reads this way. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the Lord in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist in hope. He believed against hope that he would become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Today I'd like to talk to us about hope, and I don't know about you, but I need some hope today. You just look around just for a second, and whether you read the news about what's going on on the Gaza Strip, or simply of what's going on about this pandemic that seems like it continues to persist, perhaps strife in your own family, still grieving the loss from this pandemic, whether it's related to school or to family or friendship or church. We have, we've lost much and we've gone through much loss. Perhaps some of you are still weary of not having gainful employment or the work that you desire. Perhaps the violence and injustice that has ravaged our world, not just this past summer, but continues to persist, whether or not it makes the headlines or not. We need hope today. I need hope today. And, and if I can just be so bold, I need a kind of hope that's real. I don't need that kind of hope that is so easy to talk about, that's so, so cheap, if you will, that as soon as I have spoken about it, its power is already gone. I need a kind of hope that is enduring, a kind of hope that lasts. And so today I want to talk about that kind of hope, which I believe is the kind of hope that the God of the Bible actually presents to us. Not, not a hope that feels good, but a hope that is Good. Am I preaching to you yet? Not just a hope that makes you feel nice and better about tomorrow, but a hope that changes your circumstances. And there is a difference. And so I want to talk about hope. I want to talk about the goal, the goal of hope. I want to talk about the power of hope. I want to talk about the nature of hope and then the security of our hope. So the goal, the power, the nature, and the security of our hope. We need help in this, so let's ask that God would help us to know his word, submit to his word, obey his word, and be made glad his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's really good that as we look around us in this world, there is one whom we can call out to, we can cry out to, and say, Heavenly Father. This is, in fact, how you've taught us to pray. Your Son taught us to pray, beginning with that acknowledgement of who you are, our Father who is in heaven. And so, God, we submit ourselves to you. I, I need your help today. I need your help to be clear and responsible with your word. We need your help as your people to know not just what it is in this moment to be impacted by your word, but to be transformed from the inside out. Would you soften our hearts? Would you sharpen our minds? Would you make our feet ready for action so that we might not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word as James speaks about? And so we thank you that we do have a helper in this, that you've sent your Holy Spirit so that we wouldn't just be left to our own devices, our own logic, our own ability, and our own power, but you actually inhabit the praises of your people. You inhabit your people. And so fill us 
equip us, empower us, convict us, correct us, comfort us, encourage us. What a gift it is that you do all of that and so much more through your word. And so we submit ourselves to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody agreed and said, amen. Okay, so first question, what is the goal of our hope? So we're going to start at the end, if you will. What's the goal of our hope? Well, Paul has been talking about here essentially about the justification of sinners, justification of Jews and Gentiles. The justification means to be made righteous. But that only tells us part of the story of our hope. See, Paul uh, goes through numerous objections, if you will, in this particular portion of Romans chapter 4. People were sort of offering up, or he knew that they would offer up because he knew his readers, kind of other ways to be made righteous, other ways to be made justified or to be justified. They, they offered up who they were, that they were Jews. They offered up what they had done, their works of righteousness, and they offered up what they had, the, the law. And so they offered up these various different things. And I think, as we have had to consider, we often believe the same lies. We think that we are saved. We think that we are righteous because of who we are, what we have done, and what we have. But, but what Paul is instructing his readers and what he has been saying is that we are not made righteous, we are not justified, we are not saved by works, identity, or the law. Rather, we are justified by the grace of God. We are justified through faith in God. And, and this kind of faith actually changes you. It's not just something that you sort of hold and assent to mentally or even in some sort of a spiritual fashion or emotional fashion. This faith actually changes you. And so what chapter 4 has also been teaching us is that justification by grace through faith alone makes you humble. Makes you humble. That's verses 2 and 3, and then we'll look at it in 20 in the next couple of weeks. This kind of faith also brings you joy and blessing. That's verses 6 through 8. Not only so, but it gives us a new and eternal identity in the family of God, in the family of Abraham. That's verses 12 through 17. And in our passage today, we're also given complete assurance and hope. See, faith changes you. Faith transforms us. It makes us into something that we were not before, the gift of grace and of faith. And so all of this comes to us because God made a promise. God made a promise to his people, and it's that promise that we, in, in that promise, that we see the goal of our hope. We see the end, if you will, of our hope. See, in Genesis 15, God takes Abraham outside, and he says, look at the stars. It was, it was dark outside. He could see a ton of stars, and he says, look at all of those things, and he essentially says, count them if you can. Count them, which I think is sort of tongue-in-cheek because God's like, I made all of these. Let's see if you could even count them, right? So it's given this picture of God's providence, his care, his power, his immensity, and what God says in that promise in Genesis chapter 15. He says, so shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring be. He says, look at the stars. You can't even count them. So shall your offspring be. Now, why does that hit? Because Abraham is mad old. He's really old. In fact, the writer of Genesis says it multiple times. It actually starts to feel offensive that he is old. Not only so, but he had no children. And so, hear, hear this. Everything in the biological world, everything according to human wisdom said, nah, you're never going to be a daddy, let alone a father of many nations. Having children, in other words, what the world was saying, is impossible. And yet Abraham, what does he do? In the face of that impossibility, what's he do? He believes God. He trusts in that promise of God. He has this faith in God's promise. 
Now, Paul has anchored his entire message in this particular movement of Romans in the story of Abraham. If you remember last week, we started to consider what Paul calls the promise. In particular, this promise that God made to Abraham was all about identity, it was about a home, and it was about a purpose, that, that he would become a people with all of these things. But in general, it's about God's grace. Nothing Abraham could do could afford him this, regardless of what many people in Paul's time were considering. So church in the square, that promise is for us too. That we would have an identity, that we would have a home, that we would have a purpose. Because as we looked at last week, this is for Abraham and his offspring. And in Christ, those who have faith are a part of Abraham's family. So the promise that God makes to Abraham is a promise, therefore, that he makes to us specifically and generally. Our identity, our home, and our purpose are secure in Christ. So if you ever, hear this, if you ever feel uncertain about your identity, your home, and your purpose as a follower of Jesus, what we're supposed to do is go to God's word and it settles our soul. It gives us understanding, it gives us clarity that we do have an identity, a home, and a purpose that are secure in Christ. See, the promise is for Abraham and by faith to all who believe in Jesus. And we, we will know the fullness of this identity, the fullness of this home, the fullness of this purpose when Jesus returns. Something, let's just be real, we don't think about enough. We don't think enough about, and I know I don't, about the return of Christ. Here's what Revelation chapter 21 teaches us about the return of Christ. It gives us a picture of the goal of our hope. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 2, all the way at the end of your Bible if you want to meet me there. Revelation 21, 1 and 2 says, Then I saw, John says, the writer of Revelation, a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So hear this. One day, King Jesus is going to return. He's going to come back to this world and bring the fullness of heaven. He's going to bring the fullness of heaven. Now, he has already inaugurated this kingdom. When Jesus came the first time, he has inaugurated this kingdom. And what we see in his rule and reign here on earth is an already but not yet reign. We see a glimpse, we see a picture, but on that day, can you even imagine, we're going to see the fullness of the power, the worth, and the beauty of Jesus. See, on that day, the fullness of heaven, the fullness of the power of the resurrected Lord of the universe will completely restore all that sin has undone. For the Christian, this is where our hope is. That Jesus will destroy all hate with his love. That Jesus will judge all evil with his justice. That Jesus will expose every lie with his truth. That Jesus will wipe away every tear with his joy. That Jesus will mend up all suffering, all pain, all trauma, all sickness, all brokenness with his healing embrace. This is good news for our soul. And as Julian of Norwich said in the 14th century, this is how she says it. All shall be well. All shall be well. Church, I wonder how much of that truth that all shall be well is the centerpiece of who you are. That all shall be well. See, that's the promise. That's the goal. That's the end of our hope. And I have to confess, this is not usually the first place I go when I look at my circumstance and situation and find despair. When I'm worried, when I'm concerned, I don't anchor myself in the goal of my hope. I just kind of want tomorrow to be better. Are you with me in this? Uh, like, real talk. Like, when the sun doesn't come out, I'm like, Jesus, if the, I just want just tomorrow, could it be a little bit warmer? Could it be just a little bit warmer? Or, or my kids are a little bit squirrely. Can you please, 
just tomorrow, a little bit more obedience, right? My hope becomes so small. Just give me a little bit more comfortable, nicer, prettier, a little bit more wealthy tomorrow. I don't anchor myself in the hope that one day all shall be well. In other words, my vision of God can be quite small. My vision of hope can be quite small. But by God's spirit and by by his grace, Paul purposes, I think, to expand our vision of hope today, to expand our vision of hope. That's the goal. That's the goal of our hope, that all shall be well. So what's the power? See, last week that we, or what's the power of our hope? Last week we learned that, that Christians ought to respond to God's promises with what? Trust. We should trust him. When he says he's going to do something, we should trust him. And so Paul essentially now in verse 16 is going to summarize what he said in verses 13 and 15. So look again, Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Here's how he sort of summarizes what he has just said. This is why it depends on faith. In order, in other words, justification depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares faith, the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So what Paul says negatively in verses 13 through 15, he says positively here in verse 16, and that all who trust in God, all who trust in his promises are a part of the family of God, not just Jews, but also Gentiles. This is really good news. You're not part of the family because you've got it together. You're not part of the family because you do a lot of really great things that, that make you a really great asset for the family, right? You are a part of the family of God by grace through faith. That means that you are kept in the family by grace through faith. See, if it was about your performance, the only way you could stay in the family is if you keep doing good things and avoid all of the bad things. There is such hopefulness in this for us that if you are saved by grace through faith, then you are kept by grace through faith. So he's still talking about justification, that anyone and everyone who believes in Christ is made righteous. This power was proven in Abraham's story. That's why Paul sees it as such an important transformational moment for followers of God or believers of God. And so he follows that up. Look at verse 17 with this transitional statement. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Again, we should take a moment just to appreciate that Paul keeps going back to the Bible to prove his point. Paul keeps going back to the Bible to prove his point. This is one of the values that we desire to have as a church family, that, that no matter what's happening in our life, we should be people who say, what's God's word have to say about that, right? What's God's word have to say about that? I, I desire children. What's God's word have to say about that? I desire to be married. What's God's word have to say about that? I'm not sure where to send my kids to school. What's God's word have to say about that? I wonder if this is the person who I should spend the rest of my life. What's God's word have to say about that? I wonder about church leadership. I wonder about gender identity. I wonder about racial reconciliation. What's God's word have to say about that? Are you picking up what I'm throwing down, church? This isn't just an idea that we have come up with. This is what Paul has modeled for us in the New Testament. When he wants to communicate something, he says, this is what God's word has to say about that. This should be the knee-jerk reaction of followers of Jesus, no matter what we see in the headlines, no matter what whispers to us in our hearts. What's God's word have to say about that? And what's amazing is God always has a lot to say about what takes place in the lives of his people and what takes place in his creation and his world. Are you with me? So we, we are a people, and like the Apostle Paul, that goes back to what does God's word have to say about that? He goes back to Genesis 15. And what he's really doing is he is explaining the essence, the very basic level of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. And, and if I could be so bold to simplify this as much as possible, to be a Christian is to trust the Lord. 
To be a Christian is to trust the Lord with your life, with your salvation, with your past, with your present, with your future. If we want to just take it, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that we trust the Lord. We trust him with our sin. We we trust him with our very lives. We trust him. We go to him. He is our hope. And and, and when when we do that, when we trust the Lord, something is produced in us, and it's hope. That's the power of hope. It actually does this transformational work in us. Trusting God produces hope in God. Trusting God produces hope in God. Works don't produce hope. Identity doesn't produce hope. The law doesn't produce hope. Why? Because at, the, at some point, our effort and power disappoints and it doesn't satisfy. But trust always produces hope because God is undefeated and he always performs exactly what he promises. And so when you trust God's promise and he comes and fulfills it and he performs it, what does it do? It engenders to you hopefulness and trust and joy and this life-bringing relationship that you have with the God of the universe. And so to establish this point, Paul uses a very peculiar phrase. Look look again in verse 17. So it's all about seeing Abraham as the pattern of salvation that Paul is making this point. He says, in the presence of the Lord, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And and here's the peculiar phrase. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As had been told, so shall your offspring be. And I want to draw our attention to that, that idea there that in hope, he believed against hope. What's that even mean? Like I said, it's a peculiar phrase. Remember, Abraham and his wife Sarah were old and they were childless. From every vantage point then, every person in their life would have just simply told them that parenthood has passed you by. This is not going to happen for you. Humanly speaking then, it would have been wise for them. It would have been wise for them to give up hope of having children. It was, in many respects, hopeless for them to have children. But by God's grace, what did they do? They chose to not place their faith in what the world was telling them. They chose to place their faith and their hope and their trust in who? The very words of the living God. In other words, what what Paul's saying, he believed against hope. He believed against what everyone else was describing as hope. What everyone else was grounding their reality and their expectation and their life in. He believed against hope and he placed his hope in God, not in the world. See, the world said you'll never be a dad. God said, I have already made you a father of many nations. That language is actually in this tense that says it's already done. It's already done. You are that. In in other words, God is saying, because I said it, it's so. You're not waiting for this to happen. Because I said it, it's so. So the world said you'll never be a dad. God said, I've already made you a father of many nations. The world said you're too old. God says what? I'm eternal. The world said you have already tried and failed. God said, I can do all things. The world said you're as good as dead. God said, I'm alive and well. Abraham's trust produced hope, which gave him assurance and faith in the face of great opposition and overwhelming odds, namely that he would never be a dad, let alone a father of many nations. That's the power of trusting in the Lord. It gives you peace and assurance and faith in the face of hopeless opposition. Overwhelming odds. See, trust produces faith. Or one way that we could put it is that hope breathes life into dead circumstances. Hope breathes life into dead circumstances. So the goal of our faith is a new heavens, a new earth. The power of our hope is an assurance. So what's the nature? What's the nature of our hope? 
Well, in order to, to answer this question, I think we need to get rid of some preconceived notions about hope. We've addressed a couple of them. Because I think when we think about hope, we think about a few things. A few things come to mind, which, which I'd like to suggest to you are contrary to the way that the Bible speaks about hope. A few things come to mind when we think about hope. One is a disconnected future. In other words, a kind of look into tomorrow that, that is better than today. It's different than today. We look to our feelings, and ultimately we think about ourselves. So often when we think about hope, we think about a disconnected future, we think about our feelings, and we think ultimately about ourselves. However, when we open the Bible, we, we see that hope uh, is, a, is a kind of idea, something that God gives his people is a rooted future. It's a future that has very much something to do with the past and the present. And also we see that it's not about our feelings, but actually about the truth. And above all else, hope's about God, not you and me. That's really good, by the way. We, we constantly have to do this kind of battle of, of pulling ourselves away from the centerpiece of our own faith because God is the centerpiece of our faith and our hope. He is our joy. He's our sustenance. So when we open the Bible, what do we learn about hope? I want to juxtapose those three things for us. First, hope is not about our feelings. It's about the truth. Remember when we looked at Romans chapter 3, uh, we confronted this sort of marked history that the church has with feelings, that, that Christians used to talk about faith overcoming our feelings, so it sort of minimizes feelings as anything that is important for a Christian to think about and to feel. But today, faith and feelings are sort of conflated, that we see them as the exact same thing. And so our, our feelings are our faith. So suffice to say, feelings used to be the enemy of faith, and now they seem to be best friends. So what, what are we as followers of Jesus to do with our feelings? Where feelings are not wrong, they are just not central, or, or perhaps to say it this way, that your feelings are not the most important thing about you. They're not the truest thing about you. In fact, uh, 1 John chapter 4 teaches us to sort of question and to be curious about the things that we are experiencing in our inward or interior lives. 1 John 4.1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone into the world. See, your feelings are not the truest thing about you. Who is? What is? God's spirit, God's love, God's rescue, God's forgiveness, God's family, Jesus. Jesus is our hope. See, when we open up the Bible, we see that hope is not an idea. Hope is a person. Hope is Jesus Christ himself. So our hope is about truth, not about feeling. Secondly, hope is not a disconnected future. It's a rooted future. It's not a wish about tomorrow. It's not something that you and I are trying to disconnect from the realities of today to think about a brighter and better tomorrow. We actually are considering who God was, who God is, what God has done, who he is, and what he is up to right now as that tell and that tells us about tomorrow. Hebrews chapter 4, or chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Notice, hope is faith and an assurance about something that has not yet taken place. However, did you notice that the place that the writer of Hebrews goes is to people of old and how God was faithful to them? He points us to the past so that we'll have a right view of the future. Are you with me in this? He points us to the past so that we have a clarity of who God is and what he has done, and that gives us clarity about our future. 
See, the writer of Hebrews literally spends the rest of chapter 11 talking about creation and the past and the faith of the saints of old. And then this is what he says in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice this. This is so critical for us in understanding the nature of hope. The crescendo of Christian hope is found in the cross, something that took place in the past, and the throne, which is something that is currently taking place in our present. Jesus died on the cross, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father in a throne room. Are you, are you with me in this? That's where our hope is. The writer of Hebrews is saying, have hope. So what does he do? Here's the cross, and here's the throne. Here's the cross, and here's the throne. So if we want to understand tomorrow, we need to understand yesterday and today. And the scriptures teach us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hope is about a future deeply rooted in the past and present. Thirdly, in this idea of the nature of hope, hope is not about you, it's about God. Hope is not about you, it's not about me, it's about God. See, many times our thoughts and aspirations about the future or our hope about the future is really more determined about what I am longing for personally, what I desire personally, and not what God says is true about my future. Not about his kingdom. See, we are easily drawn into an outlook or hopefulness which is centered on self, which actually leads to despair. This happens a lot in our consumeristic culture. We're taught to hope in and for more stuff. This is, in fact, many times how we gauge the stability and the well-being of a nation. How much stuff does everybody have? How much stuff can they afford? How big is their home? How many cars? How much space? And all of this, right? This was not lost in Jesus. He, he foresaw this consumeristic tendency because it was alive and well of the hearts of his listeners in the first century. In fact, when he spoke with a rich young man, it was clear that he knew, who knew the Hebrew Bible and understood much about its teaching. However, Jesus subversively unearthed something. Hear this from Mark chapter 10, verse 21 and 22. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. In other words, here's your hope. Your, your hope is this, this treasure, this, this joy that, that is secure in heaven. And then here's the response of the rich young man. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Did you notice, even though that he knew the Bible and believed in God, he lacked something. And the thing that he lacked, that Jesus understood, was a complete hope and trust in God. How do we know this from the text? He's disheartened. When he says, wait, you want my stuff? My stuff is where I find security. My stuff is where I find hope. My, my stuff makes me glad. My stuff makes me feel powerful. My stuff actually is precious to me. See, hope is not about you. It's not about me. It's, it's about God and what, what he is able to do, who he is, and what he promises to accomplish in our future. So the goal of our hope is a heaven, a new heaven, a new earth. The power of our hope is an assurance in God. The nature of our hope is that it's in truth, it's a rooted future, and it's about God himself. And lastly, what is our security? What's our security for all of this hope? Well, hopefully you've sensed 
the answer throughout the entire sermon. And in fact, it's probably the point of every particular message we could possibly ever preach here at Church in the Square. Your security is Christ. Your security in your hope is Christ himself. In who he is in the present. In what he has already done on our behalf that, that's in the past. See, it's the death of Christ. It's the resurrection of Christ. And it's the very presence of God. Notice this in Romans chapter 4, verse 17. Where does all of this hope take place for Abraham? Verse 17 in the latter portion. It says, in the presence of who? God. In whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that don't exist. The security of your hope, my sister and my brother, is in God himself. Abraham's hopefulness took place within the very presence of God. See, the further we get from the presence of God, the further we get from his word, the further we get from trusting his promises, the less hope we have. Why? Because he is your hope. He is your joy. He is your gladness. See, not only so, but Paul makes plain the nature of God, that God is the one who brings life to the dead. God is the one who calls things into existence that he says, what? Didn't even exist. Don't even exist. In other words, I'd like to break it down to us this way, that the world said darkness is too powerful, and God said, let there be light. The world said, behold, despair. God said, behold, my son. The world said, dead things stay dead. God said, death could not hold him. The world says, sin is too severe. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. The world said, you are alone. God says, behold, I am with you always. The world says, you are lost. God says, I see you. The world says, you can never change. God says, I make all things new. The world says, you need help. God says, I'll send a helper. God says, or rather the world says, there is no hope. God says, what? I'm right here. I'm right here. Church, do you see, do, do you hear, do you believe like Abraham? Because we have the Lord, or better yet, because he has us, we are never without We are always a hopeful people. See, Abraham looked up at the stars and hoped in God and believed that he could do it. May we look and consider our circumstances, our present situation, our present disposition, whatever it might be, and know that we have this hope with assurance and joy that one day, because of Jesus and in Christ, all shall be well. Heavenly Father, make us a hopeful people, rooted in you, anchored in the God of yesterday, today, and forevermore. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.